Hey guys, this week, across the Hollis Company, we're going to be sharing strategies for cultivating joy in your life, how to fight for the things that bring you the most happiness, and how to create incredible moments for you and your family, regardless of what is happening in the world around you. So for the Rise podcast, I wanted to reach out to someone who I know could bring valuable insight for you guys when it comes to building a happy life for yourself. I called my friend Gretchen Rubin, four-time New York Times best-selling author of books like The Four Tendencies, as well as the host of the award-winning podcast, Happier, with Gretchen Rubin. Guys, her podcast is about how to be happy, so she is the perfect person to talk to. Gretchen has been on Rise once before on episode 106 to talk about the importance of mindset when you're setting goals for yourself, and we've got so much more in store for you today. So be sure and listen to my conversation with Gretchen, and then be sure that you stick around because I will be sharing a sneak peek of this week's lesson on joy. Every single week during the next three months, I am teaching a free class that you can totally access about how to navigate this season of quarantine and uncertainty with intentionality. So be sure and listen all the way through so you can catch this week's lesson. I'm Rachel Hollis, and I've built a multi-million dollar media company with a high school diploma and the free information I found on the internet. In the 15 years that I've been building and scaling my company, I have become deeply passionate about helping other entrepreneurs to do the same. So each week, I'll be sharing tangible and tactical advice and inspiring interviews with the same intention. These are the tools to change your life and your business. This is The Rise Podcast. We are good. I have, I'm sure just like everybody else, I've definitely had days where I'm like, should I start drinking vodka at 11? I don't know, but <laughs> maybe. Um, but for the most part, we've we've done really well. The kids, I think on some level, I don't know about you guys, but I feel like they, I mean, obviously they know that it's going on, not the full extent of, of what's happening, but they know all about what's going on. And so I think they're better behaved than they normally would be. Like they're not really fighting and they're not, which is like, we're like, what is going? All right. We'll just accept it. Thank you for not acting awful right now. So, you know, it's so interesting that you say that because a lot of people have said to me, wow, my children have been better about online learning or their home assignments than I thought. Like, not that it's easy, but it does seem like in the world of children, maybe they also understand like, okay, I just need to step it up a little bit more here and ask more of myself in this situation. Um, because several people have commented that they've been pleasantly surprised. I've been very struck by how resilient my children have seemed. Um, so that's yeah. a reassuring thing to realize. Like they can take it and they can rise to the occasion. They can rise as we all should. Yes. Yes. And I think, you know, I, it's so funny because not on purpose, but so many people I've been recording with have been parents and it has inevitably come up of, of kind of like how we approach this time period and what our children will remember yes. out of this time period with us, which I think is so essential. And honestly, it's one of the reasons that I wanted so much to have you on. So thank you so much for sort of moving your schedule around and, and doing this with us so that you could be part of our theme this week, which is this idea of joy and how do you reach for joy and happiness in the midst of 
a hard season in the midst of a crisis in the midst of everything that's going on. What does that look like for you and your family? But then also this is, this is your jam. Um, And not necessarily that you've written about how to reach for joy in the midst of a global pandemic, but certainly those tactics that we've used in everyday life come into practice here as well. Absolutely. I mean, so it's the classic things like taking care of your body, which means getting enough sleep, getting some exercise for you and for your children, um, connecting with other people. I think everybody gets it. We need to be physically distanced, but we don't need to be socially distanced. And I think people have really been reaching out and using all the tools that we now have available to us and also like helping make sure grandparents know how to use all these tools and making sure um, that people who might be isolated or get kind of detached, get pulled into the fabric of society. So I think people are are very aware of these. Um, But I keep thinking of something that my mother said to me a long time ago when I was planning my wedding and I was like this super, you know, high strung uh, bride to be. My mother said, the things that go wrong often make the best memories. And she meant like, if, you're bro- if your veil falls off your head when you walk down the aisle, that will be a happy memory. And that is true. But it's also true that the way memory works is that we remember the things that are really high and really low and really distinctive and really unusual. And I do think that for us and for our children, this will be a very memorable time. It will stand out in our memories for decades to come. Right now, it feels like how can even next week come come to pass? But there will come a day when this is in the distant past. And so we're doing things to try to like keep a journal, take photographs, like memorialize it um, to help us kind of make sense of it at the time. And then also feel like we're, we're holding onto it in memory for our future selves. I love, I love that idea. There's this book that I cannot remember the name of that is talking about what customers remember in a business setting. So the example that they give is if you've ever taken your kids to Disneyland in the middle of the summertime and they're like any parent, if you actually ask them, if you make them sit back and and think about it, taking your children to Disneyland in the middle of summertime is literally the worst. It's yeah. a million degrees. Uh, there's so many people who are there. The kids are whiny, like all the, so many, right? All the things. It's like your worst nightmare. But what we remember are the highest highs. Yes. Yeah, I wonder you if you're me, talking you know? about Chip Heath and Dan Heath's books, The Power of Moments. Yes, yes. That's exactly what it is. It's Good a great job. book. Good yes. job. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I read it too. And I, yeah, it's very powerful. It's very persuasive. As it made a big impression on you. Yeah, yeah, seriously. Because I just, I remember that of like, oh, you're right. When we talk about Disneyland later, we only remember seeing yeah. Mickey. And we only remember the beautiful moments. We don't remember the line with two hours of waiting. So there's something to this season of remembering that, they they will look back on this time. Your children will, or you will look back on yes, this time, and you will, will you will judge what you are capable of doing in the future, what you're capable of overcoming in the future, based on how you manage this season. Which yes. I have to ask, you're in New York, so tell yes. me how how you're feeling or how it's feeling there in New York. Well, it's funny because you know my sister, who's the co-host of the Happier Podcast with me, she's in Los Angeles, which is another big hotspot. My parents yes. live in. My parents live in Kansas City, Missouri. My whole family's from Nebraska. So I feel like I'm kind of monitoring all different parts of the country. Um, and the thing about New York City is like, if you, re- if you see it on the news, it looks terrifying, absolutely terrifying. But the fact is we're a really, really big place. And so the numbers can be really big and the hospitals can be overwhelmed. But ordinary life 
feels very calm. Like where I am, people are really observing social distancing. They've been doing that for a really long time. Like if you go to the park, if you're on the steps of the Met, if you're on the sidewalk, if you're, you know, I haven't been to a store in a really long time, but people are being really conscientious about it. And people are staying hunkered down. And, and so you don't have the feeling of terrified emergency in ordinary life. Like obviously that's happening for the healthcare workers and the people in the hospitals. And that's terrible. But for the people who are just the people like me, who we are doing our part by staying safe at home and staying out of everybody's way um, for us, it's, it's, it's fine. It's fine. And it's funny. I was saying to my husband, like all these people are, of course are crawling with the virus, but I feel safer with all these people around. I like seeing other people in the park. I like knowing that there's a grocery store three blocks away, even if I don't go. Like, I like the feeling of of human activity, um, maybe yeah, more absolutely. even than I did before, even though I'm not inter- interacting with them. I like just looking across the street and seeing other people's windows lit up because they're having their family dinners. Um, I'm like, they're there, makes me feel warm and connected. And we've also done this thing. I don't know if they're doing this in Austin, but like at 7 p.m. every night, people go out and cheer for the essential workers. And it's so beautiful. Oh my gosh, you heard the people ringing out across the city. And it just, it's so in some ways it, it, it's scary, but then in other times, you know, you, you realize that we're, you know, we will get through this. Of course. Yeah, absolutely. Are there, tactics. Um, and I know you and I, you've talked, you and I have talked about these things before, but there are tactics. Are there tactics that you feel like in what you've written or researched before that you feel like are really applicable to now? I mean, I love that you talked about this idea of moving your body and your health. And that is something that is really essential to our work and our family that we're really encouraging people to get out every day, literally put on a YouTube video, jump up and down, dance around in your kitchen, but just doing something to get movement into your system because it's so good for you on, on a bunch of different levels. But what are some of the things like that, that help people to reach for, um, just the moment of levity in the midst of everything that's going on? Well, it's interesting. Like I wrote a little book called Outer Order, Inner Calm about the idea that for most people, outer order contributes to inner calm. And I feel like now, especially since we've got so many people in our houses um, and apartments, that people really are kind of like feeling they're they they are getting comfort by just asserting their control over their immediate environments. It's like I can't control the world. I can't control the future, but I can organize this bookshelf or I can clean out my office files or, and also since there's so much more use of our space and maybe a different kind of use than we've used before, like two, you might have two working parents working at home and children doing schoolwork. Like people are rethinking their spaces. Um, And a lot of people have said, oh, I think that maybe I won't even change it back. This actually works out really well for uh, the way we're using it. And so I think that there is, um, this idea that, uh, you know, somebody once a long time ago said, oh, I finally cleaned out my fridge and now I know I can switch careers. And I think people are like, you know, I'm up in the middle of the night because I can't sleep, but I'm going to organize my pantry. And, you know, uh-huh. I don't know why, but it just makes me feel reassured and comforted. You know, it just feels better. So it's, it's kind of so funny. Yes, I am like so on board with this. And it's funny, I wanted you to come on and talk about was thinking of the happiness project when I asked my team to reach out. And now that you're saying, I'm like, Oh, my gosh, I didn't even think of that book. And that is exactly what it is. I have spent the last three weeks nesting. I don't know another way to say it. It I have. It's like I'm about to have a baby. I'm cleaning everything. I feel the same way. 
because it's literally, it is exactly what you just said. I can't control things outside of this house. And so as, and for me personally, this is not going to be everybody, but for me personally, if I don't have something to do and something to keep busy, that's when I get anxiety. Or that's when I'm like, let's go look at social media, which is not a good option for me right now. So organizing my pantry makes me feel like a million dollars. Well, I think action is always the antidote for anxiety. So taking action. And also, I do think that we have kind of some instinctual impulse to prepare when there's an emergency. And whether that's going out and buying toilet paper or, you know, or whatever it is, there's this urge to prepare. And if it's sort of thwarted, because there's really nothing more you can do to prepare because it's really not something you can prepare for. Um, I think something like this is an outlet for that energy that we're sort of like, we feel it run it coursing through our veins and it's helpful to do something with it, turn it into positive action rather than just feel like it's making us restless and kind of can't focus on anything. And I think for me too, I, I, I mean, I'm working, I'm sure you're working, I'm working yeah on my day job, obviously, but so many of the projects that I'm doing, they're bigger projects that take much longer. And so there's something about going and doing the dishes that has a start and a, and an end. I complete (laughs) a project and it makes me feel so accomplished, which I need right now. Well, it's funny because for years I wrote on my blog every day and then I kind of, I evolved out of that because I was doing other kind of more long-term projects and I've gotten back to writing my blog every day. And I think it's for exactly that reason. It's like, I just want to get something done. I want to start and finish and feel like I'm moving things forward. But it's interesting that you mentioned the happiness project because so many people have been mentioning that book to me. It came out 10 years ago, but I think it's kind of like this idea of I'm just going to systematically think about my life and what can I do to be happier, the concrete things that I can actually realistically do right now in my relationships with my body, you know, with work, with transcendent matters, like, what can I do? How can I use this time mindfully and productively to, to do what I can to be as happy as I can under the, under the circumstances? Um, I think we're all feeling that hunger to use this time as best we can. What do you think of, you know, because we're, we're doing this community-wide challenge right now, and so we have weekly themes. And one of the things we've talked about a lot, and this episode will air during the week that's about joy. How do you reach for joy even in the midst of crisis or hardship? And some of the feedback we're getting from members of our community is, hey, I'm doing this, and I'm getting pushback from my family or my friends or my coworkers that... I'm being too much of a Pollyanna or I'm, this is not the time for joy. And I vehemently disagree. I think, my gosh, there's so much pain right now. Let's try and balance it out. But what do you say to people who are maybe getting flack for the idea of wanting to try and find some happiness for themselves, even in the midst of a season like this one? Well, it's interesting. Yeah, sometimes people feel like it's not morally appropriate to seek to be happier at a time of crisis or suffering. Um, Definitely research shows, and I think the the experience of you and and many of your your folks will agree, 
that actually happier people are more interested in the problems of other people and they're more interested in the problems of the world. And it's like people think, oh, if you're happy, you just want to drink daiquiris on the beach and ignore everything. It's like, no, when people get happier, they want to like distribute malaria nets more effectively. Um, yes. Happier people, they, they tolerate frustration better. They have better habits. They donate more money. They volunteer more time. They're more likely to reach out if a family member or a friend or a coworker needs help. Um, when we're less happy, we can become isolated, defensive, and we become preoccupied with our own problems because we're not very happy. So really by doing what we can to be as happy as we can be under the circumstances really strengthens us um, to both take care of ourselves, that's put on your own oxygen mask first, and then also to take care of other people because we'll feel like we have the emotional wherewithal to think about other people and the pain of the world and kind of being willing to hear other people's sorrows and suffering and annoyances and grievances um, because we're just better situated to do it. So if it is selfish to want to be happier, I think we should be selfish, um, if only for selfless reasons. Um, but then also the idea of joy, it's like there's nothing there are certain times where you're just not that happy. You know, your mom is yes. sick in the hospital. You're not that happy. And it's so it's not that it's always possible to be 10 on a one to 10 scale. But given the circumstances, are there things that we can do within our power that are going to help lift us up? And I think almost inevitably people are like, there are things I could do, whether it's watching a funny sitcom for half an hour and giving myself a mental break. If it's pulling a funny April Fool's prank on your kids, which I did, like a funny little gentle prank. It was just fun. And then it's like you take the picture and then you send it to the grandparents and everybody has like a moment of lightness and levity and also a feeling like life goes on. Like we're still doing April Fool's pranks, even though it's COVID-19 mm -hmm. time. Um and so I think looking for those moments, it actually, um, I think it, it helps us to be happier. And also because of a really interesting psychological phenomenon called emotional contagion, we literally infect other people with our emotions. We're constantly passing emotions back and forth. And I don't know if you've experienced this with your house, but in my house, if one person gets crabby, it spreads immediately through the whole household. So yes. you, you do not want to let that, ha you want, I, maintaining a lighter mood actually makes everybody better off. It makes it easier than for kids to do their homework, for my husband to be on a three-hour conference call, for us to remember to wash our hands constantly, for us to be vigilant about things like pushing elevator buttons, um, not with our hands. It really, it's, it's so worth it. And it's so worth it. Um, and it's so, it's such a good thing. Um, but it's funny, sometimes people just, they feel like it's almost bad luck, you know? Yes. Yeah, like, you're so right. Yes. Or if I can just distance myself from the hardship or if I distance myself from the pain, then it won't hurt me as much or maybe it won't last as long. Yes. And if you walk through true pain or hardship or trauma before, then I think that you begin to understand that we have capacity as humans to hold both simultaneously. Yeah. You can yeah. know that this is hard and awful and still laugh with your husband at the end of the night over something yeah. that your kid said that's yeah. still possible it's a, a beautiful thing that we can experience both and and I want to make sure two listeners understand this is not you don't sort of snap your fingers and suddenly just feel a certain way right. I am constantly reaching for uh, positivity in my life and have been doing this for years and in the course of a single day I might go back and forth between emotions. I woke up yesterday and 
some things frustrated me at work and they weren't going the way that they should. And they, and, and because we're not able to be in the same building, which is not something we're unused to. Um, so I was feeling frustrated and I'm hormonal and I just had a cruddy day. And even though I was having a cruddy day, I was still going through all of my habits and all of my rituals that I know would make me feel better. I was dancing. I got my workout in. I did my gratitude practice. I was praying. I did all the things. And it still took several hours before I got to a place where I felt better emotionally and could laugh again. And so I just want people to hear that it's not, it doesn't always come easy and that it might, you know, you, it might fluctuate in a given hour, in a given day, and definitely throughout the week. So be graceful with yourself through your emotions. Yeah. Somebody called the Corona Krabby that I heard. It's just yeah. that feeling of like, I can't, I kind of can't get over just the, the bad feeling. But you know, one of the things you, you, you mentioned in your example from your own life is, a, is another interesting psychological phenomenon, which is that we should act the way we want to feel, which is not not being inauthentic. Your quote. I have been yeah. saying, <laughs> yeah. I keep telling, I'm like, you guys, we need Gretchen's quote more than ever. This is what we're going to do. Because, and it really works. Like you say, it's, it's yeah. not that you're being fake. It's not that you're, you're not being truthful to yourself, but you're just tapping into like the way you want to feel. You want to have access to that joyful side and that, that side that has levity and can see the humor in it or the absurdity of the situation or, you know, you're, you know, and, um, by going, like doing the things that usually like dancing, even though you don't feel like dancing or singing out loud, even though you don't feel like singing or working out, even though you don't feel energetic, we really help ourselves, um, behaving in a loving way. Even if you're feeling really annoyed with somebody actually helps you to reignite those loving feelings. It's like, don't wait to feel loving to give the kiss, give the kiss. And that will make you feel loving. Yes. I always think of this, especially when it comes to parenting. And right now that is tenfold because yeah. so many things <laughs> that have typically been things I do for myself now involve my children because yeah. there is no other option. So I went on a run this morning and my seven-year-old was like, oh, can I come and ride my bike with you while you run? And the the truth is that that's going to slow me down and that I'm not going to be able to run as far as I want to run because he can't pedal quite that far. And so there's a whole thing, a whole list of things that go through my head. And that is when I hear that quote in my head all the time. One of the things that I, I, I have a daily practice I do in a journal where I claim, you know, I sort of write down, this is who I want to be. And one of the things I write every day is I'm extremely close to my children. Well, if I'm extremely close to my children, then when my seven-year-old says, mommy, can I go on a run with you? The only option is to act the way that I want to feel, which is close to my child. And of course, buddy, hey, let's go on a run. And it's going to look like something different for us this season. And that run is going to be more about us bonding as a family than it is about me having alone time. I can find some alone time later, but man, that has really helped me in this, in this last three weeks for sure. It's interesting though, because sometimes you feel your, I don't know about you, but like, I feel myself pause and it's like, (laughs) I, 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 it's not a snap. It's not right out. The yes doesn't come like flying out of my mouth. I have to be be like, I need to remember what's really most important to me. And I takes, you know, a good, there is a, there's a pause there, but yeah, you know, because you're like, Oh, I wanted to have my run the way I have my run the way I always have my run. It's like, well, that's not the run that's going to happen today, but there's another run that's going to happen. Well, you know, one of the things that also I think people are really noticing is when you're, when we're living with such close quarters with people and also needing to make demands on them in different ways, like, 
your children, you have to kind of be the teacher or the coach and, you know, you're running your household in a different way. So my four tendencies framework, which is whether people are upholders, questioners, obligers, or rebels, is also something people are, are t- I've been talking to people a lot because it's like, if you have a questioner child who's refusing to do homework, you need to talk to them in a different way than you would talk to a rebel child who's not doing homework or an obliger child who's not doing homework or a spouse that's not doing so their real, part. Yeah. You know? um, so if the, the quiz is at quiz.gretchenrubin.com if people are interested in like personality framework. We talked about this a bit in our last conversation yeah. and it's so fascinating. It's definitely worth you guys, if you haven't taken the quiz, head over there and see how different people are responding to even watching the difference of my husband and I in this time period is just fascinating of how we both respond, but have kind of found our group and what it means to be working from home. Yeah. And I, I don't know, it's, it's super interesting. I'm also, are you, have we talked about the Enneagram? I feel like we talked about little, this last Yes, time. we did. Yes, yeah. Yes. I'm so yeah. curious about with all of these different personality types, how, and, and if I'm, I'm like telling you, if you need something to blog about, it would be so fascinating if you haven't yet blogged about how the four tendencies show up in a time like this, Yes, because I keep thinking this about Enneagram, which is something we do at our company of like, I, I'm a three, which is the achiever. And yeah. so it's one of the reasons why I love organizing the, the pantry so much in this time period is I am able to achieve something even in the midst of chaos. Right. But the how I dealt with this change was I immediately, like three and a half weeks ago, immediately sat down, spent an entire day and pivoted my business because right. I knew that in order for us to come out the other side of this and 60 employees to still be safe and strong and have health insurance, we needed to make moves fast. But I can also understand that my personality was being served by that pivot because now yes. we have something new to work toward instead of just sitting around twiddling my thumbs going, Oh my gosh, what's going to become of us. That has really helped me. It'd be so fascinating to, to yeah. have your opinion on how you think each tendency responds to a crisis like this. Well, I have logged a little bit about it and I'll do more and I'm glad to hear you think it's a good idea. Like one thing that came up was how the, how the tendencies, um, how you think about it with people who weren't, uh, sticking to the rules about social distancing, because that came up a lot. Um, but, you know, this makes me think what you were saying about how you dealt with the, the change for you and your team made me think of this question of joy, because I think you and I are, are, have a lot of uh, similarities in our personalities. And like for me, I get reassurance and comfort and then and therefore it's easier for me to find joy because I have that base basic level of reassurance and comfort with a routine, with a schedule. And it makes me feel good to be like, this is how my day is going to go. This is what's going to get done. Maybe I'll get this done too. That's what I'm hoping for. And like, <laughs> I'm going to schedule calls and like, that makes me feel yep. comforted. But then other people, the rebels in my, in my, in my thing, they love spontaneity. And so for them, they're like, I love it that I can get up and do whatever I want. And I don't have to be at work at a certain time and I can wear whatever I want. And we can also take pleasure in their joy in, in embracing the spontaneity. Um, or, you know, a questioner who's like, this is so much more efficient because I am not, I don't, I can work instead of commuting. And, you know, and I, and, and that's how they find their joy. It's like, how can I, I'm going to learn how to use this tool so I can now get two things done and, you know, twice as fast. 
And, um, but I think sometimes people want, they say, they think, well, I'm comforted by having a routine and a schedule. Therefore, I'm going to make you follow a routine and a schedule because then you will feel comforted. Even when a person's saying, no, 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 that does not make me feel better. That's not helping me feel joyful. I think a lot of times, especially in a family or a team, you have to say, well, this is what I like, but maybe you like something different. How do we create an environment where everybody thrives? And even better, how can we all be lifted up by how different people handle this? Can we all benefit from different people's coping strategies rather than me marching around with a clipboard trying to get everybody to commit to getting up at, you know, 7.30 a.m. every day, which is my instinct. Um, I want everybody to go to bed on time and wake up. It's like, they don't, my daughter's a junior in college. It's like, (laughs) you know, no, I don't have to tell her what time to go to bed, you know, even though, but it would make me feel better. It's not making her feel better. That is a really good thought that I hadn't even taken into this, which is that we're all going to process this in different ways. And based on the personality type you have, you will need to approach it. As you're saying that, I'm thinking of my oldest son, who's 13, and he had heard me talk about Enneagram so much that he ended up taking the test. And I I don't even know if 13-year-olds are supposed to take a personality test, but he did, (laughs) and he came to me, and he said that he's a a two, which is 100% him, and he's a two-three. Which, is that a helper? Um, it's a helper. Yeah. So he's a helper achiever. And I, it, in the last two weeks, the amount of times he's come to me, Hey, can I, do you need me to unload the dishwasher or do you need me to take out the trash? Or he'll just do things without even being asked to do it. And I'm recognizing that for him, that's a way for him to yes. process like, Oh, it gives me something I get to help yes. mom. And then I feel yes. like I kind of checked a box today. And then I have another son who's a seven, which is the enthusiast. And the thing that we did almost immediately, because our first week that we were in quarantine was when we, it was spring break for our kids and we were supposed to be on a family vacation in Hawaii. And yeah. so something we started doing that I don't normally ever do, but I just knew that one of my sons would need something. He needs something to look forward to. It's yes. just his personality. And he yes. was so excited about Hawaii. And then that was taken away. So we started doing dessert. And we don't normally have dessert every night. It's usually like a special occasion thing. But now every night it's like, are we having a cookie? Are we having a scoop of ice cream? Are we? And we've made sure that in our quarantine grocery deliveries, there is some kind of sweet treat. And I know that that sounds silly, but for for Sawyer to know that every single day he will ask me after, hey, what's for dessert tonight? It just gives him this simple little thing to get excited about when so much of every day is a little bit monotonous for us right now. Yeah. What's funny, my my parents who are also like, you know, uh, holed up in Kansas City, Missouri, they start and they're very, very conscientious about what they eat. They started having a daily treat. Same thing, yeah. kind of like, it's just fun. And then they send us yeah. pictures and send, you know, they live in Kansas City, so it's all my kind of growing up treats. I'm like, oh, go to the donut <laughs> shop and get a donut, you know, or like go, yeah. get, a, get a Frosty at Winstead's. And it's like, it it, it is, um, I, but I think you're right. Like you have to think about, well, what do different people need to get through this? And maybe somebody else needs like a lot of novelty. So maybe you need to do kind of goopy things or like, we're going to have, uh, we're going to have a picnic in the backyard. We're going to sleep outside in tents. So we're going to do something yeah. like really out of the box because they need something kind of, and then other people don't need that. It's like, Oh, we can just stick to the usual. That's fine for me. Um, it's hard. And it's the more people that are involved, of course, then the more different it, we can all benefit from that. But then you also sort of have to think through how this is falling. Different things are weighing differently on different people. 
Well, and I think too, there's an opportunity here for some communication with your partner, with your children, yes. if you have them, even friends that you have or family, just like, Hey, how do you, I have a, I have a very close group of girlfriends and we're all on a text chain together. And we've sort of mutually agreed, like, you know what we need right now? We just want funny memes. That's the only yeah. thing. This channel yeah. right now is just for funny yeah. memes. That's what we're using yeah. it for. But yeah. we've had the conversation of how do you need us to support you in this season? Yeah. And that's kind of the thing that we're into. But it would be an incredible opportunity to have the conversation with your partner or your family or your friends about what does it look like for you? What would make you happy? Or what would what's a way that we could create joy here at home? Um so that you have this opportunity to experience something. I was I was on the phone last week with my therapist and we were talking about, you know, feeling, I was feeling disappointed that I couldn't go to Hawaii, which was something I've been looking forward to for months. And I'm kind of a, I will sprint really hard at work knowing that I have a, yeah. a, a an extended vacation on the horizon. And yeah. I was, so that got canceled and then I was disappointed. And then I felt like a super jerk because I'm disappointed because I can't go to Hawaii. Like what a brat when so many people are struggling. And um, so we had this long conversation about, you know, it's okay to be human and, and, and to feel disappointed in not being able to have this thing. But for, for listeners, she said something to me that I, I just think is so helpful for listeners. She was like, what are the elements of Hawaii that look, you can't have a palm tree and you can't have sand and you can't be on a beach right now. But what are the things you would have done there that you could bring into your home? And so if there's something right now where if you ask a partner or a kid, like, what would make you happy or what would bring you joy? And they're like, well, it would make me happy to be able to go to a restaurant and eat a nice dinner. Well, shoot. Okay, we can't do that right now. But is there an what are the elements of that experience that you like? Is it the food? Is it multi-courses? Is it the conversation? Is it the candlelight? What are those elements that we could bring into our life? And honestly, just you having that conversation and then striving to recreate the experience together gives you something to do, gives you an activity to focus on. And I yeah. think says to your partner that you care enough to try and bring joy into your lives right now. Yeah. I think that's a great idea. Like what is it? Is it is it binging on old movies? Is it listening to new music? Is it uh, feeling a, a, a apart from the office? Like, what are what are those elements? I also one thing that I've noticed, and I don't know if you've if you've experienced this, is that people, if you pay attention to your moods, that a lot of times people kind of feel this at different times of the day, and I think it's really helpful to be aware of that. Like my my younger daughter was saying, how for her three to four is a really low point. Like that's when she sort of feels down. And then my yeah. husband wakes up anxious. Now for me, I'm a real morning person. So I tend to wake up my most cheerful and energetic first thing in the day. And then I kind of wear out, but he wakes up anxious. And so we talked about it and now he doesn't read the news until noon. He, he asked me, is there anything important? And I'm like, there's nothing they can't wait till noon. We're still inside, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, no, they, yes. yeah. Um, and he, and, and usually I walk the dog, but now he, we're walking the dog together. Cause I'm like, you got to get out. You got to be out in the sunshine. You got to be getting a little exercise first thing in the day. Like, let's get in front of that. And it's helped yeah. him to keep his mood higher because sometimes it's like, do you just have that little low point and it's how can you build in the cushion where you need it, um, to kind of maintain, 
Um, because part of it, I think, is reaching for the highs, reaching for the joy. And then part of it is also like, well, maybe you don't have to dip as low as you might otherwise. Maybe there's things that we can do. Like the treat. It's like, I know he's going to go through that thing where he needs that little lift. How do we give him that little lift? If it turns out it's not that hard. It's pretty straightforward. Let's give him that little lift and we'll all get the benefit of that. That is so smart that you're saying that. And I hadn't, I hadn't thought this before, but I don't wake up anxious, but I get really frustrated in the morning. And I'm realizing right now it's because I wake up and I'm, I'm, I'm very good about once I leave my, um, once I leave the computer, once I leave my desk, I don't look at Slack again. I don't look at email, but what happens is in the morning I'm opening it up and there are all the messages from my team of all the things that they need me to do. And that's making me feel frustrated because I'm like, guys, like what, you know, it's that thing. Right. And so even just that for me of, Oh, you know what? You don't actually need, especially right now in this season, don't open Slack and don't look at communication with the office until you're actually sitting ready to do office work. My morning routine is so sacred and I'm accidentally because of the season, I don't normally do this, but because of the season we're in, I'm like, Oh, I need to make sure everything's okay. And I'm sort of destroying or disrupting my morning routine with office work, which is why I'm feeling frustrated. Man, that was a breakthrough for me. Thank you. Uh, That was so smart. Yeah. It's, but it's, I think all of us are so, because I wrote a book about habit formation um, better than before. I'm constantly thinking about habits. And one of the things that everybody's struggling with is so many of our habits are disrupted. A lot of good habits are disrupted. A lot of bad habits maybe also are being disrupted um, or being created and everything has to be kind of rethought. So this is a problem you don't usually face in ordinary life. You know, you, yes. you're not, you haven't built up a system around it because it's new and it takes a while to sort of think like, oh, well, like a lot of people, I, we, my sister and I are doing an Instagram live every day at four. And, um, somebody was like, oh, I always would go to the gym. I would get dressed for the gym. I would drop my son off at school. And then the gym was right there. So I would go to the gym and then I would go home. But now he doesn't go to school and I don't go to the gym. And so I haven't exercised. And it's like, yeah, because now you have to totally recreate that. It took a while yeah. to get that system into place. Well, it's not going to magically be, you know, you're not going to magically have the substitute. You have to rethink what that will look like. And that's a lot of work. And there's a lot, there's food, there's sleeping, there's working, there's, ki- I mean, it's all happened to be sort of rethought. And that's a lot um, for us to think about, you know, at one time. Well, I wonder, you know, this week we have been talking about this idea of perspective and what your perspective is on the current situation is going to determine the way you feel about what's happening. And I was, we were on a live the other morning and someone said something and I just keep thinking about this. I've been thinking about it for three days. People were talking about how hard it is to be in quarantine. It's so hard to be in quarantine, hard to be in quarantine. And someone commented and said, it's inconvenient to be in quarantine. It's not hard. And I was like, that is so, and, and certainly there are different circumstances for every single person, but across the board for us, it is incredibly inconvenient to be here. It's inconvenient to be here without the things that we're used to, without being able to leave the house. It's hard to go to the grocery, like all those things. Yes. But it isn't hard. And I think that we're, we're confusing the two because We, yes, we haven't been able to buy all the food we normally would, but we have food. There's food in our bellies. Um, We're not, we're like, do you know what I'm saying? Like there, there's something to 
the perspective that you have on the situation that is robbing you from the opportunity of joy because yeah. you're making it something bigger than it is. And even just that shift of, is this actually hard or is this just, it's not the regularly scheduled programming. And yes, like Gretchen said, you are going to have to reimagine what this means, what every single part of your life and every habit looks like. But maybe there's some blessing in that too. Maybe it yeah. helps you in ways you don't even know yet yeah. if you can reframe what this means. Well, um, I I know somebody was saying, instead of saying stuck at home, say safe at home. And I've immediately adopted that because I was like, yes, I'm safe at home. I'm not stuck That's at home. That's great. Um, but, yeah. you know, to your point, like I, so I, I was talking to somebody who was saying like maybe for a lot of people like who've been wanting to quit drinking, this could be a really good time to quit drinking because yeah. once the alcohol has gone out of your house, it's not there. So it's not tempting you and you're not going out with friends. You're not getting those social cues. And so for people who were like, you know, maybe for some people, this is actually a great opportunity um, if they sort of grasped it. Um, and so obviously I've been thinking about myself, like, how do you even come to perspective? Cause I've been, I've really been struggling with that. And I realized, I think the thing is there's three levels. There's, Public catastrophe, which is like the whole the pandemic across the globe. There's private calamity, which is like my indie bookstore is going bankrupt or, you know, my employer has furloughs. And then there's personal loss. And that's my daughter doesn't get to finish her junior year of college. You don't get to go on your trip to Hawaii. That's real, too. They're all real and they're all happening all at once. And there are different levels of immediacy and of different levels of kind of certainty. Some of these, we don't even know what the future holds. It's like, I don't even, I think it's a calamity. I don't know if it's a calamity yet. I have to wait. It's all very confusing. Um, and that's what I just realized. It's confusing to make sense of this because everything is happening at every every level differently for everybody at all times. And we're just, we just have to kind of muddle our way through as best we can, I think, and search for the joy and make the most of this time for whatever it holds for each of us. Absolutely. Man, I feel like we have covered all the things. I feel like you have given so much wisdom today. And I really want to encourage listeners, if I am positive that you all have read Gretchen Rubin, but if for some reason, you have been living under a rock. Quarantine is a fantastic time to dig into any. <laughs> there are so many. They're all so well-researched and so well-written and really tactical advice in each of them, which I'm sure listening to this conversation, you understand that that's what she's all about. Um, Gretchen, will you also tell them about your podcast so that they can listen in? Just yeah. you said you were doing a live with your sister, any of that good stuff that they can go follow along and, and get more wisdom from you as we go forward. Oh, great. Yes. I have a podcast called happier with Gretchen Rubin and my co-host is my sister, um, Elizabeth Kraft, who, as I mentioned, she lives in Los Angeles um, and she's a TV writer. Um, and so every week we talk about, you know, how to be happier, healthier, more productive and more creative um, with a lot of kind of tips and suggestions. So that's called happier with Gretchen Rubin. And then, yeah, every day, because I think just like you, we've been wanting to like bring together a community um, every day at 4 p.m. Eastern. We've been doing um Instagram live, uh, coping with COVID-19 conversations where we talk about hacks and solutions and sort of what everybody's going through. Yesterday, we had an, a spirited conversation about snacking. Um, <laughs> sometimes it's a little more elevated than that, but sometimes you got to talk about your snacks. And that is on Instagram live. If you follow me at Gretchen Rubin, uh, you'll see that. And then I have a, I have a weekly newsletter too, for people who like to get stuff that way, where I 
have a lot of posts and resources and a lot of kind of good like things that are keeping me happy right now um looking for the joy there's a lot of fun things like those penguins walking around the zoo exploring the zoo I don't know if you saw that that's <laughs> yes video. I did yeah there's so many fun things that can just kind of give you that moment of lightness in a in a day in a tough day so that's and you can sign up on my website for that too yeah I love to connect with people in all different ways well, thank you so much. Like I said, thank you for making the time and coming on. Um, I'm trying to think you might be the only person I've ever interviewed twice on the podcast. So. Really? Oh, I'm so honored. Yes. I know yeah. you get everybody on your podcast. Wow. Yeah, that we were brilliant. like, uh, when I, as soon as I laid out the themes for our challenge, I was like, oh, I wonder if Gretchen can come on. So well, you know, so I love the challenge. I love seeing yes. that you're doing that because I love any kind of challenge, any kind of like, let's lay out themes. I'm like, this is exactly my kind of thing. <laughs> yes, yes. You're like, let's lay it all out. Yes, well, thank you again. And um, y'all, if you enjoyed today's episode, be sure and take a screenshot and tag me and tag Gretchen so that we can see what you thought. And until, until we talk again, uh, thank you, sister. Thanks for coming on. I hope you guys enjoyed that conversation with Gretchen Rubin. Next up, we have our next 90 days teaching sneak peek right after this message from one of our sponsors. Welcome back to our weekly next 90 days check-in. This week, I'm giving away a free lesson about how to build and retain joyfulness in your life. Even in these hard times, especially in these hard times, I think so often we push our own happiness to the side in order to care for others in our lives, to keep on top of business or to keep on top of what's happening in our household. And it's only gotten worse since we're all at home right now. I really wanted to give you guys a resource for taking back a little bit of that power and creating space for yourself to really find joy. If you listen to this and you want to gain access to the full lesson, you totally can and it's 100% free. I put the link in this episode wherever you're listening to it. Apple, Spotify, our website. You can click the link that says next 90 days, enter your email, and then gain access to our portal full of free resources designed to help you navigate this hard season. And now, here's a preview of my lesson on joy. Hey guys, welcome to the second week of the next 90 days community challenge. I am Rachel Hollis and I am going to be teaching you again this week on this week's theme, which is joy. So I was writing about the idea today actually of joy in the midst of crisis or joy in the midst of pain or trauma or hardship. And how I know that there are people who will think that it's inappropriate to talk about joy when there are so many things going on in the world right now that are the opposite of joyful. There are people who are sick. There are people who are dying. Um, unfortunately, that is the state of the world every single day that we live in it. Every single day, there are people who are sick. Every single day... There are people who are dying. Every single day, there are people who are afraid. Every single day, there are people who are worried about not having enough groceries. Every single day, people lose their jobs. Every single day, all of the things that are happening right now in your life, in your world, every single day are happening all over the place. It's just that you are more aware of them now because they are happening to you. Sit with that for a minute. Uh, this morning we were on live stream and someone said being quarantined 
is inconvenient. Everyone's talking about this idea of hard. Everyone's saying, it's so hard. I'm, I'm quarantined with my kids in this house. I'm here, I'm working out. It's hard. And certainly, certainly there are elements of this that are not easy. I'm trying to work from home with four kids. That's not easy. Hard would be if I didn't have any work to do. Hard would be if I didn't have money coming in, right? See, you get to choose how you look at this experience. That's what last week's theme was all about, this idea of perspective, that you get to choose. And so I choose joy. It's a core value of our company, and it's something that we incorporate into our family as well now more than ever. You know, I told you guys last week that when things first started happening, I was really freaked out and I had several hard days and then I was like, no, I am not gonna do this. I am not gonna be this person. I'm going to find joy in the season. I'm going to be centered in the season. I'm going to do things that will make me feel better about what is going on here, in these walls, in this mind, in this heart, because I can't control what's happening out in the world. I can only control what's happening here. And so I choose joy. And the thing is, you have to fight for it sometimes. Sometimes we have these amazing experiences where you're with friends or family or maybe you get to take a trip or maybe you're in a beautiful location and it seems like the things around you make you feel joyful. And other times, like right now, you might have to fight for it. But fighting for it is an option. It is an option. The reason that I talk about joy, the reason I choose it as the second theme right here at the top is that unfortunately I have lived a life that has had so many experiences inside of it that are painful or hard or traumatic. That just is. I'm not complaining. I am not whining. That is just the reality. But because it is my reality, I know that even in the midst of awful things, there are moments of levity. There are moments of humor. There are things that we can laugh about. There are things you can smile about. They always exist, but you have to look for them. And right now, I am telling you that you can choose the narrative. And if you let the world If you let media, if you let social media, if you let your family, if you let the world choose the narrative for you right now, you're in trouble. And there are people who will look at this idea, there are people who will look at the idea of doing a community-wide challenge or reaching for more. Maybe you've even seen it. I've seen so many of you who are posting in your social and telling people about this challenge. And maybe people inside of your own personal community will clap back at that and be like, oh, why would you, you know, I'm not interested in that. I don't, there's too, bleh, eh. If you let the world, it will choose the narrative for you. And I, po- I am positive that the narrative the world chooses would not be what you would choose for your best self. You at your best self, you six months from now, living, let's imagine for a minute that six months from now, you have lived the next six months as the dream version of yourself. The best version of you lives out the next six months. 
The best version of you shows up every day for yourself. The best version of you shows up every day for your family. The best version of you, you in all the things that you do, you're intentional. You don't rush through any of it. You take this moment where life has slowed down a bit and you are more present and you make sure that you're doing the things. You're doing your five to thrive. You're eating foods that bless your body. You're drinking all the water. Who's peeing their pants because you're drinking all the water right now? Hello. Um, You're doing your gratitude practice. You're moving your body. You're waking up an hour earlier and you're using that time for yourself, right? Let's imagine that you did that for the next six months how strong you would be, how much you would be thriving. And not to say that hardship doesn't happen in the world around you, but imagine that you live the next six months in that way. What does it look like then? What does it look like in April, May, June, July, August, September? What does it look like six months from now, you having lived the best version of your life, okay? I want you to imagine that person for a minute. What do they look like? What do they dress like? Be specific. I want you to imagine that person like a movie playing in your mind. That person, you at your best, showing up well for yourself, showing up well for others. Now, what would that person say to the person you are today? 